Hey, how we doing, guys? Welcome back to the Kind of an Expert podcast. My name is Corey Tyndall. As always, I am your host. And this week, I got to chat with someone who I honestly haven't seen in over a year, uh, but have known for a long time, Pat, comedian Patrick Colbert. Um, he was hosting some of the very first open mics that I ever did. Um, and we always got along. So I wanted to chat with him, uh, about a couple of things. First, we talk about, uh, him touring colleges. He has a, a one man show type of thing, um, that he's been touring colleges with for the last couple of years. So we talk about that for like 15 or 20 minutes, but I was really more interested in what he was talking about in his show, which is his battle with uh, alcoholism and addiction. Um, I thought it was really interesting. He was sober when I met him. So obviously I, I knew that he uh, had an alcoholism problem, but um, I thought it was really interesting and enlightening everything that he went through to get to the point of sobriety and how he has been able to deal with sobriety despite being a comedian and being around all of this alcohol all the time. So um, I hope that you guys also find this as fascinating as I did. Um, I think, uh, I think a lot of people are going to be able to resonate with this, not only for possibly themselves, but with someone that they know. So um, other than that, please remember to like, subscribe, share the podcast, send it to a friend. Um, we've seen really awesome growth in the last couple of months with podcast listeners uh, being stuck at home. You know, it's a good thing to throw on while you're reading a book or playing video games or doing something like that. So any shares, likes, reviews, I appreciate it greatly. And with that, let's get into the episode. podcast videos and YouTube videos for Ari Shafir during pandemic oh, nice. now. And he does a lot of it remotely and there are so many fucking headaches with lag and different audio formats and yep. it, it like it rarely just all syncs up properly. So this is a yeah. really smart way to do it. I mean thank thank God that you had done that before. Like speaking about uh, like talking about new skills to adopt. Like I feel bad for anybody who at the beginning of this pandemic was like, shit, I don't know anything about audio video. Yeah. Like and anything like that. But that was like, that was your full-time job even before this. Right. Like, yeah, you... I, I did uh, TV production for like a long time. Uh, so that just always came with having to learn all sorts of different stuff. Uh, so yeah, I feel like really, really lucky. And I, at first, I like resented like, "Fuck, I'm gonna have to go back to doing video work." And then <laughs> I, this, this like randomly came up, uh, and it's just been such a such a gift. I feel really, really lucky. Yeah, yeah. Well, so wait, I I didn't realize that you had because it's been a while since we talked. I didn't realize that you were like full time comedian. Like you'd stop doing the video work before the pandemic started yeah well basically what happened is i i started doing this solo show at colleges and it it was enough it was happening enough that i could like kind of just do that uh for a while and then actually around january uh think before the pandemic it was like oh shit i need another job because i don't have enough of these gigs i was like a yeah. little too cocky about it um and i would <laughs> what, do random comedian being being cocky what are the what are the odds <laughs> yeah. that doesn't happen <laughs> yeah so uh so yeah unfortunately you know like there were some times where it's like yeah i'm doing it i'm a full-time comic and then other times i'm like nope not gonna cut it so yeah i i, I remember like right when i i was probably six months in i just started barking for like 
Greenwich or some shit like that. And the first week that I did it, I think that entire week I made like $700. And I literally like, I told my dad like, yeah, no, I'm making really good. If I could just make this much money for every week, then I think I could, you know, quit my job and do, do comedy full time and just do barking a lot. <laughs> he was like, he was like, okay, uh, you know, uh, definitely don't quit your job yet. Like, yeah. let's see how, how long, like, let's see if it continues to be that good for a while. And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course I'm not going to do that. Well, it was like literally the next week I made $35 or something like that. Yeah. Well, I think there's like a scientific explanation for that. They, like there is something to like beginner's luck. Like it's like you were out there with this like probably fresh attitude and like yeah. positivity and enthusiasm radiating off of you. You didn't know what you didn't know yet. So you just like yeah. were blindly uh yeah wow that's interesting and i'm surprised i i didn't i actually didn't know you could make that kind of money I, i'm assuming you were like selling tickets and it was the deal where you could just sell it for whatever you could get and then you keep half right is that how that works it was it was sell it for whatever i could get and i kept all of it yeah. um and it was yeah it was i mean it was the perfect time it was the end of summer it was the so it was like it wasn't too hot it was starting to get dark a little bit early but there were still a ton of tourists and they couldn't like they couldn't go hang out in the park all night so they had to find something to do and i'd like since i've i've barked longer after that i realized like i started at the exact sweet spot for yeah barking and and you know obviously like being it was the golden cocky age of barking, as I man. am. I mean, it, it really was. And me being cocky, I was like, oh, I could keep that up. Yeah, like, it yeah. does. Even if it slows down, like, I'm really good at this. And yeah. it really is just like the, the cockiness of it. Meanwhile, you're making money actually doing the shows and not selling, which is what I feel like you can you can hang your hat on that a little bit more as like reliable. Yeah. Or, or is it or were the shows like pretty sporadic? I mean, yeah, like, they, I could hang my hat on it if they were consistent, like, because the college shows pay pretty well, so it's like, even just three a month would be enough to live off of. Oh, uh, that's awesome. And for a while, like, actually the week before lockdown, from like, February 28th through March 5th or something, I had like... I had like six in a row like it was like a a drive through upstate new york type of upstate new york and pennsylvania i had like six colleges in a row and it was like uh like i was like oh this is sweet like i'm gonna get through uh, like this is a few months of mortgage payments like this is great and i also had other dates on the calendar that all canceled when the pandemic came so it was like all right i'm this this can work if i can keep this kind of averaging up uh, but yeah through the late fall and winter there i just i didn't have anything and and colleges is also are only in session like five to six months of the year or whatever so it's like right um yeah if, if i'm not killing it then i gotta figure out what to do and and with the barking man i gotta say like i i did a ton of barking in 2018 and 19 for nothing like just at the v spot for uh and state the pizza show right yeah and the pizza show out in bushwick <laughs> we were barking people in and and I, the, what i can say for that is that i was able to get so much stage time and that's where i like developed this show in the first place so um you know it's that weird thing of like of course you need to make a living but we also need stage time so uh i don't know yeah and and then you know if you're lucky in 15 years it all sort of comes together <laughs> <laughs> oh my god 15 years holy shit i can't even like think past christmas at this point that might just be because of the uh because of the pandemic but no i i think you're right and it's kind of a fine line i've always said like it's a good idea to bark but just don't be known as a barker right because as soon as like the comedy producers uh feel like oh he's a barker then they're like oh i'm never gonna book i'm never gonna book him like yeah, the only time yeah. I'd ever book him is if he barked for me. Right. And so that like that is a rut that's really hard to get out of. And so it's kind of a fine line to walk. But I think like since you were producing all of those shows, it was kind of like, oh, Patrick's barking, but 
it's his show like he's just trying to make it better he's this isn't you know he's he's the producer not the barker and then everyone else is yeah. is kind of that and then you're 100 percent right you can't argue with the stage time at all like that was how i got most of mine and and obviously i don't have an hour out of it like like you do but it was definitely like man i'd be so much further behind where i am if i didn't do that yeah and you know i gotta say that to have an other real life real world skill set like you're you're clearly good with sales like person to person sales or whatever you do in your real job sales like that skill set will serve you off of off stage and probably on stage like even in your writing and your performing like these are skills that um, it's like why not just maximize them in this crapshoot of a career yeah. uh, which I, I wish I would have like I should have been editing podcasts or whatever for Ari or whoever like in my first year but in my first year I was so resistant because I was scared I don't want to get known as a videographer I don't want to get known as an editor I want to get known yeah. as a comic you know and um, and then photo I was shooting photography in exchange for stage time and the whole time I was like resist like kind of like resistant like am I is this the right move to be making yada 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 and that was just so stupid I should have just been like yeah I'm gonna shoot this show to for the stage time and I'm gonna keep working on my material like I wish I wish I would have focused on writing way earlier um I mean, I guess it takes what it takes. I'm only seven years or eight years in or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but I think if your outside skills, your like real life skills can actually help you get more stage time or, you know, help your comedy career in any way, as long as you're pairing that with actually writing solid stuff, then it kind of doesn't matter. Um, and it's not yeah. even worth overthinking it too much. I, I just wish I d did less overthinking and more writing and, and generating and honing, I guess. Because uh, I was, you know, I, don't, I met you when I was like hosting open mics still and I did that for too long, you know? Like all that shit is, uh, can get so distracting um, yeah. if, if you overthink it constantly. Yeah, no, uh, I agree 100%. And it's actually funny that you bring that up because um, I don't know if you know Alex Peshera, but we actually did an episode of this podcast on kind of the business of comedy and how you can kind of position yourself because he, like, I think did a perfect job of he kind of had the mindset of like, I'm going to help everybody with their audio stuff for stage time like it doesn't really matter and now he is like one of the go-to's like if you have a question about this it's you just hear it everywhere they're yeah. like oh hit up hit up alex Pachera. and yeah. that's led to stage time with like uh some really big comedians like karen feehan and like all these other people that are past at the stand really like him because yeah he did their stuff and then they saw him once on stage and they went oh shit he's funny too yeah um yeah so it's i mean it's it's tough because you you it's hard to understand how to balance when you're starting yeah. off you're yep. kind of like because you look at the mark normans of the world or people that never did any of that and you're like i want to do that and then yes. you realize like oh i'm not mark norman i'm not any of these people like i have to find my own thing but especially yeah. with like you like you really needed the stage time because you were putting together like a whole hour on a specific topic right yeah yeah so yeah this show it's it's all about recovery and alcoholism and addiction and stuff and uh i it was like a sort of and i i don't want to get too corny here but it was like a vision board <laughs> sort of like thing i came upon in therapy where i was like I, I was like i keep writing about this topic and i keep thinking why not just do a show about it like what if i put this thing together and she was like yeah why not what would that be like and we started talking it out and like kind of you know i never made an actual vision board but it was like a verbal slash written kind of envisioning of what this hour could be like and um yeah i just i i, I basically put together a, a, a like a pitch about it first and yeah 
at the time I was opening for Jacob Williams and Chris James who were doing colleges and I was driving them uh, and they pay me. <laughs> Another thing you could do to uh, yes. get more stage time is drive other comedians who are bigger than you yes. who can't afford a car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they I was telling that like I was like, so how do you get these gigs like to do colleges? And they have this, you know, they they were at the time represented by this agent and they're like well you get an agent and then you go to NACA conferences yada 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 mm -hmm. and I was like oh cool cool and and then I said you know actually I've been I've been thinking like I could do at colleges I could do a show about drinking and you know being knowing how to know if you have a drinking problem or how to do it safely or whatever and and I could just do all the material like they'd seen me do a bunch of the the stand-up-y kind of jokey material and they right. were like dude if you paired that with like whatever informational stuff you would want to include you could go on the college lecture circuit and they explained to me that there's this whole category called lecture with NACA conferences um, and they were like there are comics that do that kind of thing and they all suck but like you're <laughs> they're like if you do like a mental health talk that's actually funny like you'll kill it out there so i so then honestly it just started becoming this kind of like all right this is a strategy like this is a strategy to figure out how to try to make a living performing you know so yeah uh, so I kept writing about it and then I was like, you know, why don't I just like put together a montage of all the drinking related stand up tapes I have and cut it together and just start sending it around. And so I made this like trailer. And so so what I'm getting at is I, I started selling the show before it even existed, which that's smart, which I am not that kind of person normally like normally i'm sort of like i don't want to bullshit people like i don't want right. to like because like over promise yeah exactly and the therapist i work with she is she's an art therapist so she helps artists talk about their work and how to negotiate money and and she just like kept pushing like kept saying like you know this this will kind of like perhaps getting a date on the calendar will help you get the show together. Uh, and that's what happened. So I, I booked, I just, you know, I put this trailer together. I emailed like 500 colleges or something. I got like 10 bookings on my own. And then I approached an agency and I said, hey, I have these 10 bookings based on this show. Uh, I, I can't deal with this paperwork. Like I, I started doing contracting on my own and stuff. and. I was like, I need an agent to do all this work for me. And I got the agent and then it just sort of was like, all right, this is happening. And, and while that stuff was going on, uh, which again, is it goes back to that thing of like, I'm good at these skills like negotiation and emailing and following up and contracting. I'm good at these things, yeah. but I also need to be really good in the show and I need these jokes to really be great and I need to write this script and um, so uh, I'm, I'm sorry I'm like trying to re recap how this all happened I mean this was two years ago when this the first right. gigs happened exactly like two years ago uh, it was October and November of 2018 and um, yeah so I just had to like go back and then actually construct the show uh right which is no, honestly I'd... still a work in progress um but it's kind of fun that it's like something i get to go out and try to try to kill it and let some moments be a little more raw and kind of see what comes out naturally on stage and go back and edit it and try to do it better for the next one uh it's kind of it, it feels it feels cool i just wish uh, I could do it every single night, then it would be like right. amazing. Yeah, no, I, I remember like at the beginning of like, right. I think when you set up those, those first 10 initial colleges or maybe even a little bit before you did like a whole hour at the pit, um, 
which I went to and I was like, and as soon as you were like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this at colleges, I literally, it was like one of those light bulbs. I was like, fuck, that's so smart. Like, <laughs> this is exactly yeah. the type of thing that a college, because it wasn't particularly, like, it's not particularly dirty, but it's also not like, it's not safe. And, yeah. But at the same time, it has like a legitimately good message to it which is around like it's the it's essentially the story of like you being an alcoholic and then recovering from it if i remember correctly yeah well that's so so you, the show you came to was like a very early iteration of this like second thing i'm working on at the same time which does involve oh addiction and uh recovery and and compulsive behavior the one yeah the one you came to i think i i basically in order to set up uh the sexual dysfunction and sexual compulsivity issues that i uh either still i guess i probably still have them i don't know uh (laughs) pandemic and new child have sort of shut down my sex life but um, yeah uh yeah that but yeah that was before that and i did do a lot of the drinking material and sobriety material in there because i was using that to set up the fact that you know i'm i'm i just i'm i'm 12 and a half years sober now uh but i still have issues i got to deal with um sure but yeah so i was probably working out chunks of that uh for the college show and then also you know i i now i have this other thing that i actually uh, december december 2019 on the last like the second to last day of the year i did an uh, a, a a work a workout version of at qed that went really well and i was like psyched about that show but it's looking like um uh, yeah, it's like I, I, now that I have a family to support, I'm sort of like maybe I need to be regrouping and refocusing my efforts on this college show, which is actually safer uh, or quote unquote safe. Um, I actually have a, if you have the time, I have a quick funny story I can try to relay about this that yeah. happened at a very woke campus in uh, in Brooklyn. I so. <laughs> So Punchline Drunk is the name of the the, the drinking show. Uh, I did that at Pratt uh, in September 2019, and I Pratt I, Pratt's like a really small kind of like college in Brooklyn. I don't even know how yeah, to describe it's, Pratt. It's, it's an art school, so it's like really, yeah. I mean, really talented young people. Really. Uh, uh, Modern. I, I always tell people like it's like I, I think Brooklyn is probably like the queerest place on the planet and in, in a good <laughs> like in a genuinely good way. I mean that like it's like you can yeah. be whoever the hell you want to be in this city in general. But that campus, I would I would actually always like going around from club to club i would start to play a game where i would guess uh like i was on the a train and i would try and guess who on my train was going to get off at the l train to go into brooklyn <laughs> yeah. and i had like a 90 percent success rate it was yeah. i mean it's just like everyone in brooklyn is such a different vibe and they're all wearing very colorful clothes and it's yeah. really just like fuck you i'm doing what i want and then you like you see the businessman who's taking the ace all the way down to fidei and you're like you are two very different people standing right next to each yeah. other <laughs> yeah 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 i mean that's what's amazing about this city right like yeah it's uh it's pretty cool um and yeah pratt is you know that's an art school that you know 18 to 22 year olds from around the country who you know they don't feel like they belong in their town or whatever they're going to come to to brooklyn and like be themselves so I, I do my show, uh, it's like in this, it, it was like one of the worst setups for where to perform comedy. <laughs> it was like, a, it was basically in a lobby space of like a cafeteria. Wow. So Jesus. The art this... school didn't understand how performance works. <laughs> yeah. I, that's terrible. Well, this was, I think it was before I really dialed in how I like requested physical space for this thing. Gotcha. Um, because they like there's a visual 
aspect to it like there's a PowerPoint aspect to it and they were like oh he needs a screen so we'll just put him in this space that has our biggest screen uh, so which didn't end up working <laughs> but anyway <laughs> uh, the show yeah so punchline drunk it's like all it's it's just like storytelling it's like a Berbiglia set obviously not nearly as amazing as i mean i love him i don't know where you stand on Berbiglia, but no i i um, like mike Ber, mike Berbiglia. in fact my my mom actually keeps asking me if i like him she's asked me like three times and yeah. i'm like yeah 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 i like him she's like oh he's the best yeah <laughs> like, yeah you asked me about twice a year yeah he's been on npr so many times that he's yeah. like uh, every mom's favorite um yep but so yeah it's like you know it's storytelling there's bits but it's mostly storytelling and yeah it's actually primarily storytelling and then some lots of jokey jokes like it's basically a 10 minute stand up set up top and then storytelling a lot of it funny a lot of it can be somewhat heavy uh and then just some general bits about the disease of addiction etc and uh and at the end, it's, I always go to a Q&A, and somebody said, can you tell more jokes? And I said, yeah, I can, but, like, I, you know, I told you all the ones relating to this topic. I'll, I'm happy to, I'll do some material that I've been working on if you're interested. So then I start telling all these jokes relating to uh, my sex life. And my wife oh. and I have an open relationship. <laughs> and I recently discovered that I, I, I've been exploring this kink of cross-dressing and like just experimenting with my sex life. And uh, some of that actually does relate to addiction. And there's some jokes in there about how you know, how I went from this, like, porn addiction to, like, exploring some of this stuff in real life, etc. Like, thinking, like, okay, I'm in this super progressive setting uh, with these super progressive young people who are interested in these topics that I'm talking about, probably. Like, this is... And, and the, in, the, in the room, or in the space, it actually was going really well. Like, I was killing yeah. with all this, like, new newer material I was doing at the time or and again I don't even know if that was all a phase if that makes sense to even go back to work on at this point but anyway uh, I'm thinking all right this is I'm I'm putting on a good show for these students you know Uh, and then my agency after a gig happens they'll send like a questionnaire for feedback and follow-up and whatever and the booker wrote back that uh, uh, that overall it was good. They were sorry about the technical issues that happened on their end, um, but also they just wanted to note that uh, Pratt is a campus that takes um, where people take their gender identities very seriously, and uh, that they didn't appreciate uh, me making jokes about um, gender identity in general. Um, and I'm, I'm very productive autobiographical. Like I'm very, like I tell jokes about me. Like at no point was I shitting on anybody for however they want to identify or whatever. Uh, and I just, um, it just really sucked to read that, to be like, Oh fuck. Like this, this college is paying me two grand to be here. And I'm like playing with this, uh, like just basically like oh you want more jokes okay i'll I'll just like use this as a open mic um but it, it's too risky it's it was like too risky to go do that stuff it, i probably shouldn't have done it there uh but it just pissed me off and it was like a reminder that i hope this is actually just sort of a temporary situation um obviously i want to do the best show i can do for any audience uh and right now it's like the college market is just what makes sense um yeah but yeah that just really sucked how that all went down yeah well so that i mean um i guess that's not surprising like you hear everyone like seinfeld talk about how he never goes to colleges or whatever and there's always you know it's it's the stereotype but it's interesting because your your bits are like very much about you and and like self-deprecating some t- 
times. Um, but I guess what I'm, what I'm like also interested in because I've like seen the show and I, I recommend that everyone listening should try and find you, uh, online and find your, your clips or whatever. But like, I want to know kind of where this stuff came from. Like when you were addicted to alcohol and addicted to these things, like, did you realize that that it was going to go into something productive uh, at some point? Or were you just, did you not really have the, the forethought there? And I guess, like, you know, the, the cross-dressing and the porn addiction happened at a later stage in your life, right? So uh, maybe that's a little different than the alcoholism. But, yeah, um, yeah I'm, always, I'm always fascinated by that kind of stuff. Yeah, like, so when I, when I was in college... I mean, when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to become a comedian. Like, that was my childhood dream. Oh, and wow. Okay. when I went to college, I did some open mics and just totally sucked. And, uh, and I was discovering... As you do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just every, everyone, they pulled the microphone on my first open mic for me. Because oh, it was just like a, a general open mic. Like, someone went up there and sang the ballad of the Edmund Fitzgerald, like, right before me. And then I oh, went up there incredible. with jokes. I did, like, two minutes, and they were like, no, nah, we're not having this. Oh, that's great. <laughs> pulled the, they just killed the mic. I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm done. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I, I went to a proper comedy room. Um, do you know Gladys? from uh, the comic strip Gladys Simon no I never actually went up there because the line of comedians was so long to like do any of their stuff that I was like yeah that's not worth my time well in the summer of 2000 and I think for many years from like the mid 90s through the mid aughts she had a room in Times Square in the back of a hamburger restaurant it was called Hamburger Harry's (laughs) <laughs> and and I, I found this place awesome. when I was a freshman in college and I I did it twice in this one summer and I just, I, you know, they pulled me out of the bucket last because I was like this kid. They were like, who the fuck is this guy? Like now I get why that happened. But at the time I'm like, I'm about to go up and tell these half ideas to like three people who are still here. Like, what is this about? So anyway, like I really wanted to figure out how to make that work. But I was um, I was simultaneously discovering drinking at college. Like I I didn't drink in high school, and um, I think what happened was like, okay, I want to attempt this dream, but I suck so bad. So what is close to this? So I started a band. Like I started a punk nice. band with my friends, awesome. where we could, <laughs> yeah. And I like drank my balls off and wrote these obnoxious songs with, that did have jokes in them, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, and I also started rapping. Uh, so I think this. <laughs> we might my, have to do a whole episode on that. That's yeah, fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My my MC name was Pat Miscellaneous, and that's. That's not bad in a Limp biscuit sort of way. <laughs> yeah. And I, I did. I had this whole, like, sort of character. I was just, like, really proud of being this party boy, booze bag, like, frat guy without a frat. Like, I, like if you're going to hang out with me and my boys, we're going to drink hard. We're going to play a show. And I'm going to be obnoxious on stage. I Because I did think, even with music, it was most important to be funny and entertaining. So I will say, uh, yeah, I do think at the time, because I wrote even rap songs were like, there's just so many references to like getting bombed, getting wasted, like, you know, getting nuts out there on on the town, like meeting girls. Like, basically, I was like, Beastie Boys License to Ill is the best thing that has ever been made. (laughs) How do I make every song of mine feel like that? Yeah, uh, you were not the only uh, college kid trying to figure that out. By the yeah, way, <laughs> yeah. So I like uh, so so I don't think I was ever like, man, this this drinking. I'm gonna have to make something productive out of this. Uh, I think I just I was I was I really I I really thought to enjoy drinking and to party hard was like. Uh, a spiritual endeavor like it was a really good thing to be pursuing and to be celebrating um and uh, you know even now like i'm like yeah if you if you can do that 
safely and like not hurt anyone else or yourself like you should do that you should live that like I, I think everyone should live life to its fullest in whatever form um, but that's all I cared about at the time I, I certainly wasn't interested in mental health or anything like that I think I was probably the kind of person that thought like mental health uh, uh, was a weakness like if you were mentally unhealthy or you had if you didn't know how to control your drinking or whatever you were probably weak um, and you just didn't know how to party right you know um, <laughs> so it basically my relationship to how to talk about it totally changed after I got sober um, right and I think getting well, sober it was just like reading all these there's so many like drunk uh, memoirs, people writing about getting sober, or getting clean, or whatever. That became very romantic to me. Like, oh, oh, oh yeah, man! Like, I'm on this mission. Like, I'm on this journey, and I'm getting my shit together. And like, you know, like I, I you know, I like think the, at my core, I'm somewhat of a narcissist. So it's like, uh, it's like, man, I'm doing this amazing thing. You know. So yeah. I think being somebody who wants to be funny on stage and entertain people and be the center of attention, I think stand-up, uh, talking about this in stand-up was just like a natural, like, of course that was going to happen at some point. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. I guess, like, you know, before we get to the whole, like, how you became sober, I'm still, like, fascinated by like the idea of waking up with just like a raging hangover and like some really awful photos from the night before <laughs> like what is like what is going through your head in those mornings because pers like i like to drink don't get me wrong like i uh i drink probably more than i should i wouldn't categorize it as like any sort of an issue because i also like i i like things to be under control like i never i never go out and i'm like like i'm gonna go jump off this building or something yeah. along those lines but it's always the next morning with the hangover like i'm so scared that i did something nuts the night before yeah. that i'm just like wow i gotta i gotta stop like when you were have when you were laying in bed the next morning was it just like are you just laying there going like hell yeah i can't wait to do that again like i was so cool back then or last think, night or was it like something yeah, else i think there's a progression like when it was when i was having my most fun it was like as i had this rule it was like i can do whatever the hell i want i can create whatever insane scene or say whatever i want but i must own it the next day like if i huh. own it the next day then that makes because then they can't say I'm a drunk or I black out because I'd never really blacked out and I wow. was I was an embarrassing drunk like I was the naked guy at parties I would show my dick to people who didn't want to see it I would climb stuff I would jump off of stuff um, I would I would say horribly mean things to people like I, I really I, I would roast people who weren't like signed up for that like yeah uh, just to get huge laughs like i wanted to get huge my friends to all laugh either at me usually i mean for the most part i'm a pretty good natured person like i, I didn't want to send anybody home crying but if if there was an open spot to like get a huge laugh from my friends by making fun of somebody like i would go for it take it take and, it <laughs> yeah and i i would just sort of like you know what i and then at work, like a lot of this was all with coworkers. Like I worked, I worked for MTV for many years, which was like this like work hard, play hard environment. So yeah, we would all like go out boozing together. And then the next day, it's like as long as I'm here on time, I'm getting my work done. And if somebody says, "Dude, you were crazy last night," as long as I was ready to say, "Yeah, that was great, wasn't it? I, I had so much fun." Like I, I mean, I was apologizing all the time, but like. I did, I never once was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I got that drunk. Like, I never, like, did that thing. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I think, like, I think 
when you know the the hangovers and stuff like I think I had this mentality of like well this is like how the legends do it like I'm gonna be a legend and we're gonna go to brunch right now we're gonna get rid of this feeling pretty rapidly we'll just start drinking again and uh, this is you know like this is how I'm gonna keep this reputation as this you know I, I mean Pat Miscellaneous just keeps drinking you know like, yeah <laughs> I am a one man. <laughs> Bonnaroo and I need to keep the party going <laughs> you know yeah um, no you guys the rest of you guys are fucking slackers like yeah it's all your responsibility yeah like I loved <laughs> I loved hearing people tell stories about me to other people the next day like I was yeah. I mean that's like it's the same exact nerve combination like the same exact brain chemicals as like overhearing somebody like Dude, Corey just killed it down there. You missed it. I like, was just going to say, that's like, like the, the comedian's dream feeling is yes. overhearing someone say, holy shit, yeah. Corey or Patrick did really well. And you're like, whoa, yeah. that's and, like, what a rush. <laughs> and the superficial version of that is being a drunk who people are not celebrating you when they're telling those stories. They're saying like, He's a fucking mess, and he you never know what he's going to say or do. They're not, like, I always perceive that as, like, this is great feedback. Um, right. <laughs> but that's not how that, like, it, 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 basically it's a cheap way to get that feeling. And, uh, and but eventually that kind of wore off because, like, you know, you're only 23, 24 for so long. Eventually right. I'm 27, I'm with this, like, a uh, serious girlfriend who I think I'm going to marry and those you know she I, I, I don't have a proper bit for this yet but like at first like she loved that that's who she was with because she, she was a, a child of an alcoholic too so she's wired in a certain way to ha find comfort in chaos or something I don't really know um, so she loved it for like a month or two and then it was like if we're going to make this work, you need to like settle down, you know? And yeah. so I would go out and try to continue that legendary lifestyle on the weekends. It would turn into fights. And then the hangovers were, were worse than just physical hangovers. They became like shame overs, like, holy Ooh. shit. Like I said something totally brutal to her last night or did we just break up again? Like, I don't even really know what our status, like it was just, the shame becomes so overwhelming uh, that it it was just like I, I that's what made me quit essentially it was just like I can't keep disappointing this person uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, I mean that that would be that would be pretty powerful and I, like it actually leads into the question that I had is like when you were 23 24 and you were pat miscellaneous and doing all these like doing all these crazy things like were your friends were they were they mostly entertained by it did they mostly not like it but you couldn't pick up on it because you were hammered or were they not really your friends because you like you want to think like if if or at least i want to think that if i'm doing something very destructive my friends are gonna be like yo Corey, chill the fuck out but like what was the social surrounding that you had obviously working at mtv it's gonna get a little crazy in the in the odds but i mean i it seemed like you were kind of alone in in a lot of this stuff am i wrong well i definitely built like i just I mean, with, with any addiction behavior, it's like you just find people to who remind you of you and, like, you can uh, safely kind of... So I just, like, hung out with the party crew. Um, yeah. Many of whom probably don't have a problem, you know? Like, like we, you know, in your 20s in New York City, like, it is the drinkingest place on the planet. Um, it's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't do anything without there being booze involved yeah and it's weird when you are doing something without booze involved oh yeah totally especially when you're a drunk or in early recovery like it's like uh how come nobody's drinking like and when do i get to drink yeah um but yeah the friends so i did have some friends who i think just started peeling away from me that were just like he's just hmm. too much uh I had one dear friend, this woman I worked with, we were always close. We were always like, 
you know like that um it's like are we are we gonna get together but you don't <laughs> yeah it's like a and i've just always had an easier time having friendships with women for whatever reason and because um, women love Pat Miscellany. <laughs> I mean, you know the answer to that. <laughs> I think, yeah, and I think I just eventually pushed her. It was just too much for her, and she just sort of like, yeah, people just started peeling away, you know, and then the people that stayed close, we just liked to party a lot together. And, you know, one buddy, there, there were a couple home friends that I think I just hurt their feelings too many times, like, mm. like, you know playing beer pong like the horrible shit i would say to whoever i was playing against like i just right sometimes never it's just knew a joke to... it's just a joke yeah, yeah yeah um you know and my brother was sober for a few years before i finally got sober and he you oh. know the whole thing with recovery is like you can't tell somebody to stop you can like say like hey i'm worried about you or like if you ever want to talk about this let me know but you can't just like get someone to stop um so yeah like none of that was happening i think the only like my girlfriend at the time she would say like this is a problem i really think you have a problem i really think you should go to therapy all her friends were talking about it because she was always going through whatever latest trauma with me so like i was aware that people were like worried about me um, mm -hmm. But I, I, honestly, in the last two years of it, I was most worried about me. Like I was, I started to be the guy like crying at three in the morning about knowing that I shouldn't be drinking right now. You know, like I think when my wow. brother quit, that really affected me. Like because our, our dad is a, is a drunk. And like, I think when my brother quit, it was just like, all right, I know I need to stop too. But uh at first it's like but it's too fun like how can i live without this and then it was like but i literally can't stop like i can't keep myself from just doing it again so it it just became really sort of painful and worrisome and uh and yeah out of desperation i would just have these like crying fits to confused friends <laughs> you know wow um, yeah so i so i mean it sounds like at least I could piece together why uh, you ended up becoming sober. Just like I'm, I guess I'm going to assume exhaustion from like doing that for two years, like watching your brother get sober and then two years of of uh, just being sad. Or was it something else? Was, was there an outside thing? Yeah, I was trying to save this relationship. Uh, the girls with we we went to Italy on a nine day romantic vacation. And on the second night, I. Uh, I I just like got totally wasted at this like I, f I found the diviest bar in Venice Italy and I'm like this is where we need to drink and she was like I feel unsafe we need to leave and and I was just like well fuck you fuck this like you always want to hold me back like I you're never going to be able to handle me you you signed up for getting with Pat Miscellaneous or a party <laughs> guy like you always loved then I was a party guy. Now you want to change me. And I broke up with her, like, in the thick of, wow. like, being totally bombed in the most romantic city on the planet. Uh, About as far away from the United States as you could get. <laughs> yeah. And, and in the morning, I wake up, and she's on the phone with the airline to get a ticket for herself back. And, like, I was just like, how did I do this again? Like, because this was a pattern, like, for the two years yeah. we were together. I would promise her I was going to quit. Uh, I would drink again. I would do something stupid or embarrassing. I was always embarrassing her. Um, I also, you know, we got together, like, on the heels of another relationship ending. So it was like there was I was just I was just like winging it in so many different ways. And she just got caught up in the tornado of it all. Um, yeah. But but like we did not end up together. Spoiler alert. But she's she is she's like an amazing woman and like i actually did want that to work out and i did want to like make it work uh so i was i would i just finally quit and went to therapy uh as a hail mary to like save the relationship um unfortunately i just uh had done way too much damage to to it um yeah but uh oh i wanted to say one thing just to defend the friend group real quick um, or just the people in my life, 
Sure. I I like I never I was always doing well in life in general. Like I never lost a job for any of this stuff. I endangered my job. I mean, I I you know, I was at a work party once and um Keenan Thompson was there and I'm like shit talking him wow. in front of people. Uh I'm like pulling <laughs> I'm pulling executives aside to tell them what they need to do differently with their TV shows. Like I embarrassed sure. myself a lot at work drinking and being drunk, but I never it there were never consequences. Uh I, I I probably lost romantic opportunities, but nobody ever actually broke up with me or kicked me out um, right. until that last one. Uh, uh, I I never ended up in rehab. I I got hired. My career was like going better and better every gig I took because uh, people liked that. They were like, oh, he's like a lot of fun to be on the road with or whatever. So like, mm -hmm. so my, I was excelling in, on the surface in all these different ways. So like, I think my friends were just like, yeah, he's probably in a phase or he likes to party or whatever, but like, he's doing good. You know, like I was never yeah. just that classic, like in the gutter kind of drunk. Like I got, I guess people would say high functioning um, or, or whatever, or functional you know, whatever language people would use around that. So, oh, so the point is that, so friends and whatever never felt like we got to intervene, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and, and if I imagine that if anyone did try and talk to you, you, everything you just said, you would have used as defense of like, what do you mean? I don't have a problem. Like I like I'm yeah. killing it in my job and I'm doing all this. And it's exactly what you said. It was like, when you have an addicted addiction, you can't just someone telling you to stop doesn't work. No, it doesn't. And it, like my tactic was like, all right, well, we're not hanging out anymore. Like you, you yeah. see, <laughs> you see me too much. Like you see too much of me and, uh, I don't like that. So I'm just going to avoid you for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a little that's a little destructive, but that is kind of like in New York City, it's, you know, there's 8 million other people that yeah. you can go hang out with. And so yeah. it's it's not like, you know, you ruined the only the relationship with the only other person your age in your little town. It's right. everyone's everyone's kind of replaceable uh in yeah. in a sense in this city, which I mean, and it it sounds like even though it didn't bring back the the girl that you dated for two years you getting sober it it all changed for the better in general right like you yeah. being sober was there any other downsides besides you know losing her or was it really just kind of all up from there um well the, there's one like friendship uh that i still like to this day i'm like man it, that is still funky and it will never go back to what it was when we were in college like this guy i just we we lived together we played music together we ended up working together a lot uh and but he just i always perceived it as like he did not support me getting my shit together and uh wow and yeah so like there's some friendships and some ways of being in friendships that i i miss uh uh, but other than that and that's like kind of small it's just like now like he just had a child somewhat recently too so i'm just like sometimes i just get bummed about that um yeah but yeah it really was all upsides for me uh I, you know in the first year for six months to a year i really missed the i i really did miss just the chaos of drinking and the adventure of it like i missed that hmm. that feeling of like walking out of work at 5 p.m. on a Friday, like, going to the bar and, like, not knowing where I was going to be Monday morning. Like, I I really loved the kind of this is let's get nuts aspect of it. Um, yeah. But that's what's cool about stand-up is you can create that feeling with your performances or, or your writing or your creativity in general. Like, I feel like I can get all of that in so many different ways now i think it just took maturity to realize that you know i have access to all of those things except for uh you know things that will fuck up my brain chemistry right 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 well so in in 
the act of getting sober, um, I, I mean, from everything you've said, it seems like it wasn't, I mean, I assume it was difficult, but it wasn't like, holy shit, I'm going through withdrawals. I can't move for, for two weeks. Um, like, so, I mean, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong and that, that did actually happen, but I've always heard like the people that do get sober, especially comedians, it's, it's more the social withdrawal that they could have issues with for what you're saying of like going to the bar on a Friday and, and, you know, not knowing you can't, you can't get hammered with your, with your friends. So I guess, was it like a substantive addiction or more of a social addiction in your, like in your world as you're trying to get sober? Yeah, I, yeah, luckily I did not experience any sort of physiological issues. Um, I probably did physiological damage with it, but I didn't experience like withdrawals or anything. Uh, and yeah, it was all emotional kind of withdrawal for sure. Um, I, first of all, I cannot imagine making a change like that if I were a comic already. Um, if Uh like, I just, if, if there are any comedians who are doing that, like it can be done and I've seen it done. Um, but I just, you know, I, 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 cause I did, yeah, I, I definitely, I did, cause I also did make it harder on myself than it needed to be. Like I was just going to therapy once a week and talking to one guy about all this stuff. And I did that for six months before I ever found, uh, meetings. Like I knew meetings existed, but I was like mm. resistant to it. Cause I just had a brain f- filled with like biases toward it. Um, but I, and even then when I did start going to that I didn't talk to anybody or like like I'm such an outgoing person in general but when I feel like the new guy somewhere I tend to um, just sit in judgment of everyone or like yeah. I'm just sort of shy I guess <laughs> uh, yeah. like I don't want to I don't want to be the awkward dude or whatever so I just I just would go and I would observe and so anyway so the first year it was like very lonely you know like I Luckily, I had enough money to, like, move out of the girlfriend's place when we broke up uh, six months into after I got sober. Um, I got my own place, but then I just spent so much time, like, alone. And, uh, you know, it was the summer of 2009, I guess, was, like, I was just, like, riding a bike around New York City, like hoping someone would talk to me sounds like, like me this summer during the pandemic I'm, not, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm in a place by myself now and i was like okay i guess i'll get a city bike membership yeah yeah <laughs> like, oh my god um and and yeah like i i certainly i mean i i finally did i had one like crazy like classic new york hookup that was great a great experience because it was like okay i can like have New York fun while also like being as healthy as possible, you know, like, right. Um, and, and, but I wish, oh yeah, I guess some, the other thing I was doing, I was like also still trying to go out with like work friends and party, party buddies, but just right. drink, drinking Cokes. And I actually remember this is, this is interesting. I never put this together. One of those nights was in you know that side room at the Village Underground? What do they call that yeah, room? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they they call it uh, the Fat... It's just oh, like yeah, the yes, Fat Black yes. Pussycat Lounge yes, or something yes, like that? Yes, So this was before... It was just the Village Underground. What used to be just a music venue down there before the yeah. seller bought it or whatever. Um, and Big comedy yeah. spot now, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then in the Fat Black Pussycat, that was just a lounge for standing around and drinking. It was like a speakeasy style. It looked exactly the same, pretty much. And, oh, my God, this is crazy. I went there. So I went to a meeting. I went to, like, my second meeting ever uh, in the neighborhood. Um, And then I walked over there to meet friends who were going out drinking. And we're standing around. And I'm like, I, I look good. Like, I'm, like, in my, I got a leather jacket. I've got a button-down shirt. I've You're got not these... even divorced yet. You're not allowed to wear a, yellow, a leather jacket. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got these boots on. I got my hair up. I'm like, all right, I'm going to, like, meet. Because this one-night stand had already happened. I'm like, all right, I'm going to figure out how to, like, 
be a guy about town and like pick up women and I'm gonna do this. And the first woman, I'm like, we're standing in a circle. My buddies are all drinking booze, and I've got a ginger ale, and I'm just like standing there. And I've I was always proud of this, even in high school, that because I didn't drink in high school, I was always proud that I was outgoing, even when I wasn't drunk. And that night, I I started talking in this group of women who were all older, and I think they were actual literal divorcees, um, but. <laughs> Everything I said came out all awkward and weird and like I, I, was, I think essentially I was trying too hard and I think I was trying to prove to my friends that I was still cool. And yeah. one of the women, like I said something to her awkward and then she just turned to the rest of my friends and they were like, is this this guy's like first night out or something? <laughs> and and uh, I just realized, like just thinking about that now, I'm like, that was a very sad and kind of painful moment in my life where I was like trying to trying to recapture this magic or trying to make it look like I just oh I just don't need booze like I can still hang and like how sad that I was just like trying to force it like that cuz eventually like you know a year after that is when I finally did start making friends at recovery meetings and like my social life started to revolve around that and I I joined a band with people in recovery and I started performing again and th that's what led to stand up. It was like, okay, right. this is fun performing, but I know it's not what my inner child always wanted, so I like uh I did the artist's way with a group of people in recovery, which is like such a cliche uh thing to do in New York. I don't know if you're familiar with the artist's way. No. Um it's this like creativity workshop. It's like a workbook. Um if you ever hear people talking about m doing morning pages, that's like one of the cornerstones of this thing. Oh. Um, and I started doing that, and uh, and I was like, oh, shit, I'm not supposed to be in a band. I'm supposed to be, like, trying to be a comedian, because that is what my inner child always wanted. So, long story short, uh, everything got way better when I just, like, opened up and made friends, which I think is actually, like really similar to joining a com the comedy community like right it's like so dumb to try to do it alone and try to be like a lone wolf which oh, i don't yeah, think i, never I ever tried to do because i had learned through program like yeah i just gotta like meet people and go where it's warm and uh just do whatever it takes to like stay sane one day at a time you know yeah yeah, and I mean, that's I 100% agree. That was, I mean, when I started, it was immediately like, okay, I'm going to take this class so that I can meet other people doing this because yeah. I knew that the lone wolf thing wouldn't work. And I know, like, I'm sure some people listening are like, holy shit, how did you, like, maintain uh, being sober despite you hanging out in comedy clubs all night, every night? And it's like, from what I've heard, and, and you're welcome to refute this if you want, but from what I've heard, it's like kind of in the comedy community, there's a lot of drinking that goes on, but there's also like a strong understanding of when someone says they're sober, there's no like second guessing, there's no uh, judgment there. It's like every every comedian kind of, they hear that and they go, oh, I do drink too much too. And <laughs> it's like, so maybe you've had a different experience, but at least from what I've seen, and maybe it's changed since you've done it uh, over twice as long as I have, it's maybe that's a new thing, but. Yeah, no, I, don't know. I, I feel lucky that I've never felt like anybody is pressuring me or like uh i mean there's certainly people who if i were going to relapse i'm like i want to relapse with that guy <laughs> you know like there's yeah there's people <laughs> I, and there's some people like i fucking love just talking to them because they always smell like very expensive whiskey and cigarettes and i'm like <laughs> let's keep this conversation going because i want this free fume offload <laughs> um <laughs> yeah exactly it doesn't break anything to just smell it no, no. Um, and, and honestly, I would argue that I probably, like, I, I stayed sober off of drugs and alcohol for 12 and a half years. But, like, there were times when I was really in the, the workaholic mode of, like, I'm going to do three mics a night and I don't need to go mm -hmm. to meetings anymore. I'm living my dream. And, like, you know, 
that led to six months into marriage, or no, three months into marriage, uh, deciding that we're in an open marriage without consulting her first. Um, so yeah. That well, is. That, that, <laughs> that I think is definitely another episode. Yeah. That is. I mean, that's a whole different form of of addiction. Yeah. So so I just mention it to say that like. I definitely don't do any of this perfectly. I'm not. Um, I, I, I'm not an uh, an authority on uh, like, like I think it's cool that this is called, you know, the expert show or whatever it's called. But um, <laughs> I'm definitely not an authority or an example. Uh, kind of an expert. All I need is kind of an oh, expert. Oh, there you on go. This. Okay, cool. Um, but no, thank you, thank you so much for doing that. I've always, I've always felt like you've, from from the time that I met you, I met you very early on in comedy that you really had kind of a mature grasp on on everything that that's going on. So I, like, I really liked in hearing this stuff and kind of hearing the journey that it took you to get to that point. So I really appreciate you uh, talking about it, and I definitely think that that it would uh, be worth another episode to talk about the the porn addiction and the cross-dressing, i.e. your second your second live show but um before we go do you have anything to to plug like are you trying to do like shows over zoom or anything like or do you have anything booked for 2021 yeah um yeah i mean only just a scattered few college gigs at the moment that i've done six of them on zoom now they've, they've been pretty fun and there, I do have a live date at Radford University in Virginia in February that I'm like, is yeah. this even going to actually happen? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, I don't know. Instagram, I'm trying to decide if I should change my Instagram handle. I, right now it's the whole bear report, and I'm like, that show's now off the air six years, so <laughs> maybe it should just if be... If you keep it... If you keep it for another 10 it'll be a retro throwback though i think totally. that one's gonna age well yeah um and oh the one thing i'll say is i now that we are sleep training our daughter i think my wife and i are going to be able to get back to doing our podcast consistently where we talk oh, yeah very in depth about all the things i've mentioned tonight recovery sexuality whatever um and that's called who cares about ross and patrick her name is ross uh, so if anybody needs more of this nasally monotone in their ears, uh, <laughs> they can check out who cares. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'll put a, I'll put a link, uh, to that podcast in my bio as well as, uh, the, um, your, your Instagram and, and Twitter handle and any, anything else. But, um, yeah, really appreciate you doing this and we'll, we'll have to do another one sometime soon. Thank you, Corey. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, of course. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye.